Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. I want you to meet a dear friend of mine today, Pastor Mark Johns. Pastors an amazing church called Canvas. It's in Gainesville, Florida. Now, the only thing I can't think of not to like about this pastor behind me is he's a Florida Gator. (laughs) You're a long way from Gator country up here. Because everybody knows this is Jayhawk land. (laughs) Yeah, we've got got a church divided. Okay, it is, but... (laughs) So I met Mark a couple of years ago at a little pastor gathering. Our hearts were knit together, and I had the joy of preaching in his church, and I wanted you to meet him because it's so good to know there are other men of God, other churches that are living out the same mission that we are right here in this city. I don't know of any other church that lives out this mission of finding the one like Canvas. And so I've asked him to come preach and cast this vision again for our church. We're looking for 1,000 people again. Like Mark Scott, who said, I will be someone who's looking for my one before Jesus comes. And so would you give it up, a warm, warm, abundant life welcome right now to our new friend, Pastor Mark John. I love you, Bubba. Praise God. Uh, To say it's a joy uh, to be with you is a massive, massive understatement. Uh, I got a lot of ground to cover today, and so in a moment we're going to go to John chapter 4 if you want to go ahead and and be finding that. But before we do, uh, I would be remiss not to say how much I love your pastor as well. As he said, we met uh, several years ago, and there are some people that you meet in your life that you immediately know you're going to be bound with for the rest of your life. I don't say that every church that I go preach at because it's simply not true. I love my brothers. I love my colleagues. But... uh, Phil was one of those guys that we just felt like God had knit our hearts together. We were at a little pastor's gathering, and it seemed like in the morning we would all kind of meet together, and by the end of the day, Phil and I had just by the end of the day gravitated uh, to one another, and I have grown to love him so very much. In fact, uh, when we first met, I've always felt a little bit protective of Phil given his small stature. You understand what I'm saying? The man's a Philistine, y'all. I don't understand. I mean, I'm 6'2", 35, and there's not a lot of dudes in my life that make me feel small, but every time I stand next to Phil, I just want to put my head right in his chest and just (laughs) cuddle up next to Phil. But uh, I love him so much. I really, really, really do, and I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad that my wife was able to travel with me today. Next month, we will be have married 32 years, y'all, 32 years. (laughs) Yeah. I told her a long time ago, I said, baby, if you leave me, I'm going with you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, there's that. Um, I want to say this also, you know, I, I travel around, I, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I, I, I planted two churches, uh, Canvas Church, we pray will be the last church that God will ever allow me to invest all of my life in. I want to spend the rest of my life uh, giving to our community, but I've been, I was an itinerant speaker for seven years, so I've, I've seen a lot around the body of Christ. There are a lot of churches right now in North America that are praying for revival, and I hope that you know that you are in the middle of one. You're not praying for one, you are seeing it happen every day in this church. Every time I talk to Phil and I go, what's going on in Abundant Life? He's like, oh, we're planting a campus on Mars. And I'm like, well, you know, 
I'm not surprised, bro, you know? I'm just not. There's just so much that's going on here. And so uh, for me to really be able to stand here and to be a part of your Irresistible series, I say this and I really do mean it. Uh, it is the joy and the honor of my life and I'm glad to be here today. I got a lot of ground to cover, so we're gonna jump into it. If we could just pray, prepare our hearts and let's lean into the word of God today. Father, I love you, um, less of me, more of you. Lord, when the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God come together, something happens in this place that doesn't happen really anywhere else. Wherever people are watching online or at another campus, wherever there is community and mission together, the spirit of God is present there. And I just pray that you would say to us, speak to us, move in our lives and compel us the way that you would have us to be compelled, all for your glory and all for your honor. We ask it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Prior to the First World War, an English pair of scientists specializing in ornithology by the name of Matthews and Lockley were fascinated by the incredible homing instincts in birds. To see just how powerful their instincts were, they took a pair of shearwaters off the island of Skokholm, that's just off the coast of Wales, and then they released them from various places around the world just to see if they could navigate their way back home. One of the birds was carried by aircraft to Venice, Italy, a tremendous distance from its home. They tagged the bird and then released it. And from a place that it had never been, through a path that it had never flown, it found its way home in 341 hours and 10 minutes back to its nest. The other bird they put in a box and took by train to London, then by aircraft to Boston, then tagged it and released it from one of the piers in Boston Harbor. 12 days and 12 hours later, that bird was safely back in its nest on Skokholm Island. To this day, to this day, ornithologists are still mystified and amazed by this unusually strong instinct that birds and certain other animals have to simply come home, to get back where it began for them, to reconnect at their place of origin. And I say that to tell you that as incredible as that drive is in birds, I am convinced after all of these years in ministry that this instinct in them is nothing compared to the irresistible drive and the instinct that we all have deep within our souls as humans to find and reconnect with our beginning and to reconnect with our origin. Deep inside every single one of us is what the 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal called the God-shaped hole. There is this homing instinct uniquely placed in every human that drives us, that compels us to want to be in relationship with our creator and to know and to be known by the one who started it all. And today, I wanna share with you a little bit about what it means to share that hope with others, to help other people far from God to be able to reconnect with their origin and to embrace the lifestyle of irresistible invitation as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanna help you, I want you to help me if you will and just participate, okay? I'm gonna ask you some questions and I want you to just help me out by a show of hands. How many of you in this room would say right now that because of Abundant Life Church and your exposure to Christ and God's word here that your life and your family have been significantly blessed or significantly changed? Let me see your hand, okay? Hold them up high. Good, good, good. Almost everybody. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you that just raised your hand were invited to this church by a friend or a family member or a coworker or somebody else that you knew. Let me see your hands. All right, that, that is the vast majority of us. 
Let me ask you a question. Now let me ask you this. What if they had never told you about abundant life? What if they kept it to themselves? What if they had been one of those people that saw that you were hurting, saw that you were searching, saw that you were in need, but never ever had the courage to share with you that there was a place that you could find peace and hope and love? What would your faith look like right now? What would your family look like right now? What would your future look like right now? I think it is safe to say that some marriages in this room would probably not be together in this moment. Some addictions would still be running people's lives in this room. Some people would still be living a casual, stagnant, religious experience with God instead of a deep, meaningful walk with Christ that you now enjoy. And now that we have settled what it meant to us, let me ask you one more question. Who has God put in your life right now that desperately needs to know the same hope and life-changing power of Jesus that you now enjoy? If, a, if, a, if an image came to you, if a name came to you, if you see immediately somebody in your life that needs the same peace that you did, I want you to understand that you just heard the voice of God. God just spoke to you. God just impressed upon you. You may have said, man, I've never heard the voice of God before in my life, but you just did. It's not the enemy telling you who knows to need the peace and the hope that only Jesus can give. It is the Lord. So I want you to remember something. When we talk about finding our one, when we talk about inviting people to come and know Jesus, you need to know this, and I'm gonna speak on behalf of your pastor because I know that I can. It's the same way at Canvas. I want you to know that none of this, we are not trying to preach to you, compel you, or inspire you by the gospel to go out and find your one because we are interested in making abundant life bigger. None of this is about making this church bigger. It's about making heaven bigger. That's what it's about. It's about making heaven bigger. I stand on stage and tell our Canvas church all the time. I said, if we ever get to the place that we begin to feel like our church is too big, it will only be because our love for the lost is too small. And every now and again, you'll hear it. Because here's what I found out in our church, and maybe you've experienced it here. Everybody, when we preach about inviting people and we reach about winning the lost and we preach about bunches of people coming to Jesus, everybody shouts me down and they say, preach, preacher, we're all behind you until they go to the parking lot and get in their car. And then they're like, this is trash, man. I mean, I have to sit in my car for 30 minutes to get out of this stinking parking lot. And, 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 and I, get, I get here and I can't hardly find a seat. Welcome to it. When we pray for revival and we pray for rain, there's gonna be a little mud and there's gonna be some uncomfortability. But thank God that somebody before we got here didn't say, that's it, we're too big. Thank God before our family came to Christ and we saw God do a revival in our children and our grandchildren and our mothers and our fathers. Thank God somebody before us didn't say, that's it, we don't ever need to grow anymore. We found a seat for you and we'll never stop creating spaces to reach more faces for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. And if they matter to God, they have to matter to us. 
Now, obviously, when we know the story of Jesus, we know John three sixteen. everybody knows that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him should not perish and have everlasting life. We know that Jesus died on the cross for the world. But what you're gonna also find is that over, over in the Bible, that Jesus didn't just die for all of humanity, even though he did, that over in his life, he was always interested and compelled to find just one that needed hope and the hope that only he could give. And I wanna walk you through that today in John. John chapter four. So let's pick it up. <clears throat> John chapter four, verse three. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He, he had to go through Samaria. Please make note of this. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, will you please give me to drink? Okay, so we're gonna walk through this together. I wanna show you four things today that I think are so vitally, vitally important if we wanna find our one, make a difference and see other people people know the hope and the peace that only Jesus can give that we all now enjoy. Here we go. Number one, we have to start by seeing what Jesus saw, by seeing what Jesus saw. Let me remind you, the Bible says he had to go through Samaria. Why am I making a big deal out of that? Because logistically, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Geographically, he really didn't have to go through Samaria. He was leaving Judea, heading back to Galilee. And if you're looking at a map of this region, there were actually three different routes that he could have taken that were frequently used and safe to get to Galilee from where he was. And the reason that's important is because we understand now that when the scriptures tell us that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it is not making a geographical point. The Bible is making a spiritual point. The Bible is saying that something was driving Jesus. Something was compelling Jesus. Something was pushing Jesus to go through Samaria. He knew that there would be a rejected, hopeless woman at that well at noontime. And it was his compassion for her broken condition that drove him there. And there were two things about his interaction that make it even more compelling. Number one, she was a Samaritan. Number two, she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. Now, if you're familiar with Bible or you've been around church at all, I'm sure you probably heard this talked about, but there was a big racial rift between Samaritans and Orthodox Jews. It's not that Samaritans were not Jews because they were, but they came out of Babylonian captivity with wives other than their own race. And because of it, other Jews believed they had compromised their faith and they had compromised what Jews held to be true. And so they came out with strange wives and they were ostracized by the rest of the Jews. And there was this racial tension because they literally considered them not a pure generation, but a half-breed generation. And so there was, this, there was this tension that was always there. I'll tell you how bad it was. That's why when you see a map of the region, most most Jews would never go through Samaria. They would take another three hours to go around Samaria because they hated Samaria so bad, they did not even want the dust of Samaria on their shoes. They didn't want to bump into anybody. They didn't want to talk to anybody. They hated them that much. But here is Jesus, a Jew, walking right into Samaria, and he's interacting with a Samaritan, which was unheard of. Number two, she was a woman. 
Just as it is today in that part of the world, women back then were not really treated as people. They were really viewed as property. It was Jesus who first began to elevate the view of women and and that they were to be honored and adored by their husbands. And so Jesus is breaking basically two big rules to interact with this woman. Let me bring out to this. Notice that when she came. She came at noon. I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East, but the first time that I went, we flew into Amman, Jordan, spent three days there. Then we spent the other seven in Jerusalem. It is everything that you would imagine about a typical dry, humid desert. It is so hot, it will melt your face off about 11 o'clock in the day. Okay, so women did not come at noon. This was not protocol. They always come early in the morning and they got their water for the day or they would come late in the evening and they would get their water for the next morning. But this lady came at noon and she came at noon on purpose, hoping that she would not see anyone, hoping that she would not bump into anyone, hoping that nobody would be there that she would have to see or interact with. Why? Because she had a little bit of a sketchy reputation and her lifestyle wasn't really something that people celebrated and they talked about her all over town. And I'll share that with you in a minute. But Jesus knew that she was there. And so he had to go through Samaria. I'm gonna say it again. It was not geography. It was his love and compassion for lost people. They matter to Jesus and they still do. And if they matter to Jesus, they have to matter to us. Now, let me say, say this to you. Let me do it this way. I, I am born and bred Southern from the Southern part of the country. I'm gonna just go ahead and tell you, I'm a bit of a redneck, all right? I just am. I bow hunt all over the world. I own more camo than Bass Pro sells. I have a big four-wheel drive truck with a six-inch lift and 35-inch tire. I'm that guy, all right? I'm that guy. Nice to meet you. I know there's got to be some more rednecks in the room. There's got to be. Thank you. About five of you. The rest of you, it's a good gig. You ought to get on it. But anyway, look, there was a lot of things 28 years ago being born and raised the way that I was born and raised that I didn't really care about. Let me tell it to you. There were a lot of things I didn't care about. Disney movies featuring princesses. Not really my thing. Barbie dolls. Not really interested uh, in Barbie dolls. Teddy bears. Little stuffed animals. I didn't care about little pink shoes and little frilly dresses and little pink hair ribbons. I couldn't care less about any of those things. And then 28 years ago, Tina and I had our second child, (laughs) a little girl by the name of Chrissy whose face is so cute, you just wanna eat it off her face. (laughs) You know what happened? Something really strange began to happen in my life. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there watching little corny movies with little princesses and kinda liking it. You really wanna know the truth? (laughs) I find myself in Toys R Us shopping for little stuffed animals and picking them up and admiring how cute they are. And I'm thinking to myself, have you lost your mind? I'm going out and I'm picking Barbie dolls and me and my wife are comparing which one is the most beautiful and which one has the right dress and the tiara and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's ridiculous, dude. Even for a brief time, y'all, I let a cat live at my house and we all know they're from Satan. You know they're from Satan. You can't trust a cat. They're cannot, they're, they're, they are strategizing your demise in the middle of the night. You don't want to read a cat's mind. It's horrible. 
Now, it's kind of a joke, kind of not, but it's kind of a joke. Don't email the church. Every time I talk about cats at my church, I get like five emails. Oh, you hate cats. You're going to hell. You know, it's. But she wanted a cat. Here's my point. There was a bunch of stuff that I, wasn't on my radar and I didn't care anything about until I had somebody that I loved deeply. Listen to me carefully. You cannot have a real relationship with someone that you truly care about and not care about what they care about. That is what I'm trying to tell you. It is important to them if it's important to them and it matters deeply to them because you love them and you are in relationship with them. It matters to you. That's why it is spiritually impossible to have a living, thriving, growing relationship with Jesus and not care about lost people. You can't do it. And if you don't care, it means that somewhere in your heart, you need to let the Lord examine where you are in your relationship with God. They matter to Jesus. And if they matter to Jesus, if we love Jesus and we're in deep relationship with Jesus, they have to matter to us. And that means we have to give and serve and pray and be committed to finding our one and saying, Lord, would you just lead me to that soul, to that life that you want me to reach out and share the hope and the love that only you can provide. We have to see what Jesus saw. When you look through the eyes of Jesus, you will never be able to just walk around lost people again and act like it doesn't matter. If you don't want your life turned upside down, don't you ever dare pray this prayer. Lord, let me see people and love people the way that you do. You pray it and hold on to your hat. God will rock your world and change you from the inside out. Now, if all you want is cold, dead religion, you can have that till Jesus comes. Because sometimes people have, oh, y'all may not be ready for this. Are y'all, can I say this? Somebody say amen. I was gonna say it anyway. I just wanted to know if he's ready. There's a lot of people in this world that have just enough Jesus to ease their conscience but not change their life. Be careful. Because I found out that when I began to pray, oh Lord, would you change my heart? Would you let me see the world the way that you see the world? God, would you let me see people the way that you see people? I couldn't live the same life I used to live. It changed everything about the way that I saw people and loved people and the way I pastored people. You have to see what Jesus saw. And if you don't, pray for it. God, let me see the way that you see. Let me give you the second thing that happened here. We've got to do what Jesus did. See, it's, it's not enough to see. You've got to start there. But if it doesn't compel you and move you to action, then it means nothing. He engaged her about her need. Bible says he opened up a conversation about life and faith. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, is that I love comfort and I love convenience and I know you because you're like me, so do you. We all crave comfort. That's why it's always been a little confusing to me why some people love to camp so much. I don't understand that. Now I'm a hunter and there's been places that I've had to go to camp to hunt where I wanna hunt, but what I don't understand is that there are some people that literally save their money all year long and take their only vacation time to go out and pretend they're homeless. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. They wanna be hot, they wanna be miserable, they wanna sleep on the ground, they wanna wake up having to see a chiropractor the next day, I don't know, man. And when me and my wife, when we plan to treat ourselves, there are two main requirements for everywhere we go. I want a place where the water pressure is high and the air condition can be put low, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm looking for. 
I'm looking for comfort and I'm looking for convenience. And generally, so are you. But let me tell you the problem. Here's the problem with maximum comfort. When it becomes the goal that drives our lives, it can keep us away from the cause of Christ and cause us to miss out on miracles because all we want is comfort and convenience. And let me say this about the gospel. Hold on, boys. The gospel is comforting, but it ain't comfortable. The gospel is comforting, but it ain't comfortable. If you're gonna live the way that Jesus would have us to live and you're gonna see what he saw and do what he did, it means that there's gonna be moments that we're gonna have to get out of our comfort zone to do what Jesus tells us to do. Think about this. God's comfort zone was to keep his only begotten son safe and close by his side in heaven and not see him tortured and mutilated for people that didn't deserve it. I'm so grateful my father didn't love his comfort zone more than me. Jesus' comfort zone was to share some great teaching, maybe live on this planet, show some concepts, but not be tortured mercilessly and executed naked for our sins. I'm so glad he didn't let his love of comfort win. They loved us more than their own comfort. Don't forget, Jesus did not say, if you wanna follow me, pick up your mattress and come after me. <laughs> Jesus said, if you're gonna be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, if you're gonna be compelled by what compels me, if you're gonna be engaged by what engages me, if my heart is gonna be your heart, there are gonna be moments that you're gonna to have to pick up your cross, a place of crucifixion, a place of death. It's why Paul said, I die every day. I die every day because Paul said, there's things inside of me that don't wanna get on another ship. There's things inside of me that don't wanna be beaten again. There's things inside of me that don't wanna be shipwrecked. There's things inside of me that don't wanna see another inside of a prison. But because I am here for the cause of Christ, I am willing not to pick up my mattress, but pick up my cross and to God be the glory for all that he has done. Here's what I want you to know if you're taking screenshots. Whenever we're willing to embrace the uncomfortable, I can promise you, ladies and gentlemen, we position ourselves to see God do the impossible. If you wanna see God do the impossible, you'll never do it on the other end of comfort. You'll never see it. It's only when we're willing to get uncomfortable, get out of our comfort zone and say, Lord, stir me, compel me. Lord, lead me and guide me. And whatever you speak to me to do, God, I will be obedient regardless of how uncomfortable it is. At the moment that you step out of the boat, you see God move in a way that you'll never see him move before. That's why I'm so inspired by this church, dude. I went to the Crossroads campus yesterday and I just... <laughs> Shook my head, man. That's not easy. You know what's easy? Just gather everybody we can here. And just sit here and listen to some great preaching and pack it out much as we can. And when, it's, when, when we pack it out, we're, we're done and we got our four and no more and everything's perfect and everything's good. It requires uncomfortability, sacrifice, and a deep commitment to the cause of Christ and a love for lost people to branch out the way this church is branching out. And I am so inspired by it, dude. Yeah, three of you believe it. Praise be to God. I appreciate that. I told Phil, me and him are, you know, it's hard to believe we're as close as we are in just a couple years. But I told him this morning, I said, bro, being here has not just been cool to hang out with you and not just to see this amazing church, but I'm telling you, I'm going back to Gainesville with my faith stretched to believe for more than I've ever believed for and to believe that God can do greater than he's ever done because I believe that Ephesians 3 and 20, that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine if we're willing to be a little uncomfortable and to bring up our cross and to follow him. 
Miracles always live at the end of Comfort Street. Let me just get to the, actually, I'm just saying, inviting people to church, sharing your personal testimony. It can be uncomfortable for some people, not everybody, but for some people. Isn't it interesting though, that we don't find it difficult to talk to other people about anything else other than Jesus? Chiefs, you meet somebody, you don't even know these people, bro. You don't even know who they are. You see another chief jersey, you're like, what's up, bro? What's going on, cat? You're like best friends, man, right? It's a bond, it's a brotherhood. You can talk about weather, you can talk about, I met a guy on the subway in New York City. Before we ended up at 42nd Street, me and him was looking at our deer pictures on the phone. I don't know this guy from Adam's house, cat. But it's funny, isn't it? At the moment that you feel the Holy Spirit say, man, tell him about me. Why is it we get that hitch in our spirit? Why is it we get that hitch in our soul? Because the devil knows it matters. Everything else don't matter. Chiefs don't really matter. I know they matter to you, but in the, in the ultimate scheme of the thing, it don't matter. But because eternity weighs in the balance, he knows how significant it matters and he makes it difficult and sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes our fear uh, uh, overcomes our faith and our love for the lost. And we have to see what Jesus saw. We have to do what Jesus did. He didn't just see a woman in need. He responded to a woman in need. Watch this. We have to use what Jesus built. <laughs> Jesus wants her to know who she's dealing with. So Bible says that Jesus, I won't read it all for the sake of time. Bible says Jesus looks at her and says, hey, will you fix me a drink too? And she looks at him and says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus wants her to know that he is not your average run-of-the-mill well-goer. So here's what he says. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I ain't got no husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you shack it up with ain't your husband now. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, you think? That's Samaritan for dang, bro. <laughs> Jesus went for the jugular, dude. Naturally, now she realizes that she's not dealing with a mere mortal man. She is dealing with more than just your garden variety human. And as the conversation continues, you need to know this. Jesus wasn't just trying to bust her in the throat. He wasn't trying to throat punch her. He wanted, to see, he wanted her to know, I see your need. I see that you have been hurt and that you have been abused and that you have placed yourself in a position for sin to dominate your life. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he said, you're coming to this well because you're thirsty. What if I told you I could give you a drink? You'd never thirst again the rest of your life. You wouldn't run from man to man looking for satisfaction if you found it in one savior. <laughs> Watch what she does. The woman left her water jar beside the well. That didn't happen because this was a big time utensil, but she's so overwhelmed and blown away. She runs back to the village telling everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. These words, come and see. If you can master these three simple words, you have everything you need to make a difference in people's lives. Let me say this and I've got to move on. Yes, we, we, when we talk about finding our one, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to cultivate and learn the ability to help know the Bible and share our faith with others and help get them across the line. But when we get them across the line, then what? 
Where, where do they go? What are they gonna be a part of? Jesus once said in Matthew, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Abundant life is a part of this construction. The local church is the hope of the world. Let me say it to you this way. We must follow Jesus for ourselves, but we must never try to follow Jesus by ourselves. You need community, you need mission, you need to connect with other believers. I'm sick of hearing people tell me, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's true. You ain't gotta go home to be married either. But watch how that works out. I'm preaching. Is this all right, Phil? Okay. I wanna come back. I'm hoping it's okay. But I'm telling you, I'm sick of hearing that. And I live in a community that is, that is eat up with that kind of stuff. And I tell people, there is no way that you're gonna make it by yourself in this walk. You need community. You have to have other believers. There is something that happens when the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God come together that doesn't happen in any other venue. God moves in our life in a way that we will never be able to duplicate by ourselves. The enemy is hoping we'll stay in isolation. And, and, and it could be a church like this, or it could be that little community. He told me about Cedar Rapids, Iowa. There's a group in Cedar Rapids that are meeting today and worshiping God. The spirit of the Lord is there. And God is moving and encouraging and strengthening. You can't do this life by yourself. And we must use what Jesus built. It's not the building. I thank God for building. We got one. But it is not the building. It is community and mission with people that makes all the difference in the world. We have to see what Jesus saw. We have to do what Jesus did. Then we have to understand that we must use what Jesus built. And then ultimately, we just have to believe what Jesus said. Because that's what it comes down to, y'all. You either believe it or you don't. You, you either just amen me today, and you go, yeah, man, this guy's crazy from Florida. He was funny, wasn't he? Good guy, that's awesome, man. And then you walk out of here unchanged and unchallenged and not compelled and making up your mind, whether you say it verbally or not, that you're just gonna live the same way you always lived before you came in here, or you're gonna believe that I didn't come here with a handwritten message just because I was trying to convince you of something, that I'm just the mailman and I'm preaching what Jesus and the word of God is saying to us as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll either believe it or you won't. And when you don't believe it, you'll continue to live the same experience for 20, 30, 40 years of your life and you'll not be any closer to God and no one else will get closer to God because of your presence in their life. But I dare you, I double dog dare you like the Christmas story, I triple dog, I'm breaching an etiquette, I triple dog dare you to believe that what Jesus said is true and put all your faith in his word and believe that if I get uncomfortable and I pray for God to let me see what he saw and I'm willing to do what he did and just believe what he said, that things can change, not only in my life, but in the people around me. Let me show it to you. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Watch this, because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When she went back and said, this guy read my mail, I'm telling you, there's no way he knows me. They said, really, for real? She said, yes, it's amazing. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. But watch this, watch this. Then they said to the woman, 
Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. They first came because of her invitation, but once they experienced the living, loving Christ for themselves, they walked away transformed, not by her invitation, but by his grace, power, and blood. So here's what I'm saying. We have a part to play. It's, it's amazing to me, dude, that God allows us flawed, jacked up, frail, screwed up human beings, somehow saved by his grace. And he gives us this partnership and this front row seat for his spirit to use us to be a part of this grand thing called the kingdom of God. And we get to make an eternal dent because of his grace that has been extended to us. Here's what I'm saying. If you will see what Jesus saw, if you'll do what Jesus did, if you will use what Jesus built and believe what Jesus said, if you can get them to the church of Jesus Christ, God will do what he does best and they will believe for themselves. And listen, no matter who you are or where you came from or how hard of a case you think that person is, whose, whose name or face you got in your mind a moment ago when I asked you, somebody who needs Jesus in your life, let me show you a scripture that I want you to hold on to. If we believe what Jesus said, believe this one. For the Lord God is among you and he is mighty mighty to save. There is no person, there is no person in your life, no matter how hard a case you think they are, that is beyond his grace, his blood, and his ability to redeem. <laughs> Jesus said, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's your drug addict brother, that's your hard atheist friend at work. I used to believe there were hard cases. I've been saved for 30 years now and walked with the Lord. But when I was a teenager, I lived a, I lived a, I was lost as a ball in high weeds. I quit school in 10th grade. My wife got pregnant at 17. I was 18. Our, child, our son was born on my 19th birthday. I was arrested three times, twice for aggravated battery, once for drug possession. Came to the Lord when I was 20 years old. I have a middle brother that's still lost. He's 57 years old. And I remember one day when I was praying for my middle brother, I was praying out loud, God, would you save my brother? Would you touch my brother? Would you? And the time that I'm saying it in my mouth, in my mind, I was thinking out loud in my head, God, man, Brian is so lost. There's so much in his life. There's so much baggage. God, if you were to save him, it would be a miracle. He is such a hard case. I don't know if he, would, if, you, if he would ever come home and come to you. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard and said, so were you. And then he took me to Genesis 2. Is there anything too hard for God? Remember that story? Bible says that Abraham, he shows up to Abraham. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. And God said, you're gonna have a child. That in itself is a miracle. That a hundred-year-old and a ninety-year-old would find each other attractive enough for something like that. I'm just trying to say. That's right up there with the Red Sea, y'all. And the Bible says that Sarah wasn't even in the room, but she overheard it. And the Bible says she laughed in her heart. And God shows up and says, what you think's so funny? She said, I didn't laugh. It shocked her so bad. He said, yeah, you did. You laughed in your heart. 
And then he said, Sarah, who do you think you're dealing with? I mean, do you, you think I'm like your husband? You think I'm like a man? You think I'm like somebody that you met? You think I'm just some homie? You are dealing with the omnipotent, all-power, all-knowing, sovereign, omniscient God. There is nothing too hard for me. And so whoever is in your life that you think can't be reached, you need to go back and pray again and realize that you were a hard case too. And if we believe what Jesus said, there is nothing that he cannot redeem. There is no one in your life so far gone that God can't change him. There is no one so lost that his grace can't redeem. There is no story so broken that God cannot rewrite it. And some of you know it's true because you are living proof to a watching world right now. There are people looking at your life and they're shaking their head going, what in the world? And you get to say, it's not discipline. I'm not so smart. I didn't make up my mind one day to change. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. And to God be the glory. May we leave today and the irresistibility of Jesus that we have found in our hearts. Oh Lord, may we find that people around us that sometimes we don't even know are, are deep down irresistibly drawn to Jesus. If we would just see what he saw, do what he did, use what he built, and believe what he said. Father, I thank you for the word of God, for the spirit of God, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, give us a burden for those that don't know you. Don't ever let us get comfortable in our salvation. Don't ever let us get so comfortable in our salvation that we forget that there are still people that are dying and need you every day. Lord, fill this church and fill every campus they build. Oh God, lead them and guide them. Give Pastor Phil wisdom beyond his years and understanding. Fill him with faith like he's never known. Let him dream bigger dreams than he's ever dreamed. Let him be filled with more of the Holy Spirit than he's ever felt. And may this church be the recipient of that spirit that infuses the body of Christ. May souls be saved and lives be changed, not only in the future to come, but in this moment right now, in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Give me 60 seconds, okay? We're gonna call it a morning. I, I, I don't want anybody looking around. Just give me a moment, okay? I'm gonna do it like I do it at home. Phil told me it was all right to do it this way. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I wanna give you a chance to know him. Let me, let me tell you what I didn't ask. I didn't ask you, do you know about God? I'm sure that you do or you wouldn't be here. I'm not asking even if you have an affinity for God. I'm sure that you do or you wouldn't be here. I'm asking, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life or have you been trying to live life your way and just wanting God to rubber stamp it? See, you can know all about God and not know God. You can know all about water and die of dehydration. You can know all about bread and starve to death. The question is, not is he in your life. The question is, is he first in your life? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? So let me tell you what I'm gonna do in just a moment. I wanna pray for you right where you are. I'm not gonna have you stand up or walk the aisle. There'll be people to pray for you if you want that in a moment, Phil will tell you, but I just wanna pray for anybody in this room right now. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest with you. As you have preached today, there is something stirring in my soul and deep down I know that I have never made peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I've never really done it, not really. I've never really made Jesus the Lord of my life, but I'm so weary. 
I'm so tired. I'm so restless. And today, I just want to know the peace that passes all understanding. He invites you to come home. If we really believe what Jesus said, he said there is nothing that can separate you from his love and his grace is greater than whatever you think disqualifies you. He welcomes you home and he invites you to come home to the Father. So I'm gonna count to three. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, nobody's looking around. I just want you to throw your hand up and I wanna know who to pray for. One, two, nobody looking around. Come on, don't miss your moment. Three, raise them high. Raise them high right now. High, leave them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 in the back, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Come on, abundant life. Come on. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. Now, here's what we're going to do. We don't let anybody walk to the cross alone at our church, and I don't want us to do it here. We want to be good brothers and sisters to those that are coming to Jesus today. Listen, there's no magic words, but there is a biblical way we come to God. And I want us to just walk to the cross together with our brothers and sisters, okay? So let's pray this together loud and bold. You ready? Here we go. Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. But I am so grateful that he didn't just die, that he wasn't just buried, but that he rose again the third day. Because Jesus is alive, it is proof that all you promised me is true. So fill me with peace and fill me with power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.